Amen. Um, Psalm 92 in the King James Version says, It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. It is a good thing to give thanks. Uh, A good thing, not necessarily an easy thing to give thanks, or um, perhaps a natural thing for us to give thanks. We're not naturally creatures of gratitude. And I think that's because we're kind of hardwired to to interact with the world on a kind of contractual type basis. Uh, the, The way we kind of work in the world is that you get what you earn and you must earn what you get. You get what you earn and you must earn what you get. Uh, We see this, I think, devastatingly uh, in the conclusion to the film Saving Private Ryan. And if you've seen it, um, set in the Second World War, you have Private Ryan uh, lost and uh, a a, a rescue mission is sent to find him. Um, And Captain Miller leads this mission and he dies as part of the mission. And his dying words, he pulls Ryan up as he's dying and he says to him, earn this. And the film ends uh, with Ryan now as an old man asking his wife, if he has lived a good life, if he has earned the sacrifice. He says, I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope it was enough. The thing is, if he has to earn it, it's no longer a gift. Now, if you get given a present on your birthday, something something really great, you get this, this wonderful thing you've really wanted, and you open it up, and there's a little note inside that says, you can pay in a lump sum or in installments. It's not a gift anymore, is it? The gift is no longer a gift. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, but deep down it is hard to really give thanks because it means we have to move away from earning it to receiving it. It is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. So much we can give thanks for. We've mentioned some of them already in our service, haven't we? So much to give thanks for. Everything comes from him. But most of all, the most from him is the gift of our Lord Jesus. And the salvation that he brings is not a debt to be repaid, but a gift to be enjoyed with thankfulness. And this passage we have in John 6 wrestles with the immensity of the gift of Jesus. Uh, John 6 is a rich feast. Um, We're probably not going to be able to touch on all of it, although we'll give it an attempt Um, Last time, we we looked at the beginning of John 6, which begins with a feast. Uh, uh, Jesus uh, multiplies the the loaves and the fish to feed the 5,000. At the end, there are loads left over. Uh, And then Jesus walks on the water in the storm at the night. He terrifies his disciples until he reveals himself and says, It is I. Do not be afraid. And then they are glad to receive him. But, But right at the start of the chapter, John tells us that as the crowd comes to Jesus... Jesus wants to test his disciples. He wants to stretch them. He wants to grow them. And I think that test that he sets for his disciples, it doesn't really reach its conclusion until the very end of the chapter. Right in verse 67, Jesus asks the 12 this critical question. He says to them, you do not want to leave too, do you? It's quite an astonishing question, really. Uh, Given that the chapter begins with this great party, Jesus is at the center, he creates this huge feast, everyone's flocking to him, the masses want to crown him as king. He's never been more popular. But very, very soon afterwards, there has been such a turning away. People can't get away from him quickly enough, so it seems like there's only the 12 left. And the test that Jesus wants to set them 
becomes sharper and more personal as they are asked the most vital question, do you want to stick with Jesus? Interesting verse at the end has the same word as in verse 21 when it says the disciples were willing to receive Jesus. They were glad to have him. But then a whole lot happens between verse 21 and 67 and Jesus says, well, what about now? Are you still willing? You're still glad? Or do you want to put Jesus behind you? But this morning, that same question searches us. We have to ask ourselves, are we ready to face up to the question of Jesus as he asks you today, you don't want to leave too, do you? Well, what about you, he says? Now, where do you stand in how you relate to Jesus? Do you want Jesus to be your all in all or not at all? Do you want him at at the center of your life or are you happy to keep him at arm's length in the margins? What about you? Well, how does Jesus get to ask the question? What happens between verse 21 and 67? It's going to really help you to have your Bible open today. There are Bibles at the back if you haven't got one or got it on your phone. This is a big passage and we're going to move around it. but let's, let's, let's start at the beginning, verse 22. That's where we're, we're picking it up. Um, in verse 22, we find the crowd are pretty confused. They're befuddled. They, they, they can't work out uh, where Jesus has gone. Um, but they do want to find him. They're searching for him. So they go back to Capernaum looking for Jesus. Verse 25, when they find him, they ask him, when did you get here? And Jesus completely ignores their question. Uh, and he wants to challenge their motives. Why are they searching? He says in verse 26, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He says, you're coming to me, but it's for all the wrong reasons. And what they're invested in, he says in verse 27, invested in a food that spoils, not a food that lasts forever. He's saying the crowd haven't understood the meaning of the miracle. And he says, I think he's saying they don't understand it because their, their aspirations are too small, they're too limited. It's like, like when, when C.S. Lewis speaks about how um, God doesn't find our desires for happiness too big, but too small. We are too easily pleased. Uh, this crowd, they're too easily pleased. They would settle for another meal, settle for a food that spoils, seemingly because they haven't even begun to imagine there might be anything more than that. Uh, The Guardian newspaper, um, not so long ago, uh, had an article which spoke about the stress-reducing, life-extending benefits of religion. We all want less stress, don't we? So let's get involved in religion. It brings that great benefit, doesn't it? In some cultures, there are great social benefits for being involved in a church. Some parts of the world, it gives you great political benefit to be connected to Christianity. There are loads of reasons why people might want to have a little bit of Jesus in their lives. There are a lot of reasons why people might want to come to church. Uh, this week I heard the, the sad story of a man who has fallen away from his faith in Christ but still enjoys the benefits of Christian worship. Uh, Richard Dawkins, we mentioned him last week, a militant atheist, loves to fight against Christianity but he says he enjoys singing Christian carols. Uh, Jesus puts his finger on the danger of coming to him for superficial and limited reasons. The crowd have come because they had their bellies full and they want some more of that. They want another meal, but they're not expecting or imagining there could be anything that lasts forever. 
And we need to be on guard against it. A, a form of Christianity that only fits in this world, that doesn't have a need to stretch beyond the limits of this life, is a Christianity not worthy of Christ. And maybe we need to ask ourselves this morning, what are we here for? What do you want from Jesus to eternal life? And and then I think he he brings us to the main kind of idea in the discussion when he says this food is that which the Son of Man will give you. It's a gift. The crowd missed the gift part, though. They focus on the what work must we do? How can we earn what you're offering? So Jesus clarifies in verse 29, the work of God is this. Believe in the one he has sent. The crowd are pretty suspicious now. In in verse 30, they want Jesus to to show some reason for why they should trust him. The feeding of the 5,000 wasn't enough. You see, they recognize Jesus is claiming to be immensely significant. And so in their minds, that brings up the character of Moses. Now, maybe in in their minds, he's the most significant leader in their nation's history. Uh, Back when they're ancestors journeyed through the wilderness. Moses miraculously supplied them with manna. So it seems the crowd are saying, look, Jesus, if you think you're in the same league as Moses, you've got to prove that. Demonstrate it. Jesus says, you missed the point. Completely missed the point. It wasn't Moses who was the giver. The giver was the father, father God. He's the giver and he is the one in verse 32. He is the one who gives you the true bread from heaven. The crowd say, all right, fine, give it. They demand the bread. And Jesus brings the big, the big kind of uh, reveal that he he's, keeps coming back to in this chapter. And if they're going to wrestle with, this, with the idea of gift, the immensity of the gift that Jesus is, they must come to terms with who he is. And emphatically, he says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. This whole discussion explores that gift. The one who comes down from heaven, the gift of the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. And throughout this whole whole chapter, Jesus overlays the picture and the reality. He wraps them up together. The, The picture is, eat me. The reality is, believe in me. But Jesus wants us to understand that at such a level. He ties these things together. And I think in this discussion, Jesus helps us to think about the gift from two different perspectives. Two, two perspectives on the gift. That the first perspective is to think about the gift of the Son. Jesus, the Son of God, is gift. He's begun to show it. We've heard it already. Verse 32. The Father gives the true bread from heaven. The true bread is the gift of God. And Jesus is the bread. Jesus is the gift. But, but what sort of gift is he? No, no, repeatedly he says, I am the bread of life. The gift of the bread is specifically the gift of life. It's a life gift. But life is a complicated idea. There are lots of ways we can think about what life means. Now, the, the internet tells me that if you're in the, in the United States, still can clarify this later, if you're in the United States and, and you live a dog's life, uh, that means to be comfortable and pampered. In the UK, to live a dog's life means the complete opposite, doesn't it? What does life mean? Well, Jesus fills out what it means that he is the gift of life. What sort of life is he talking about? 
well, well, from the beginning of this whole interaction, from verse 27, he makes it very clear. He is talking about food that endures not just to life, but to eternal life. Now, the ordinary bread, he says, it will sustain you for a time. The manna, even, that the Israelites miraculously ate in the wilderness sustained them only for a time. But he says in verse 49, they still died. But all of that eating, it's a picture. And Jesus extrapolates out from that eating um, into the idea of a bread that will sustain forever and ever. A sustenance that sustains beyond dying into eternal living. That's the gift of life Jesus brings. The gift of eternal life. But even that needs some clarifications, doesn't it? At one time in my life, only one time, I've eaten caviar. I think it was because my dad told a silly joke. He um, it was at, at, at the church my dad goes to. They were having a meal to invite people to come and hear about Jesus that happened to fall on my dad's birthday. So my dad said, I will only go to the meal if you serve caviar. And so the organizers arranged for there to be caviar there. Um, it's really not very special at all. Um, uh, but at that meal, what's the point? At that meal, I got chatting to this, um, this older lady, lovely older lady, talking about life, and she was sh- sharing a bit about her past. And, and I said, well, what do you think about the idea that Jesus came to bring eternal life? And she was horrified. The idea of living forever was appalling. She'd had enough of life. Too many bumps and bruises. The thought of it going on and on, it was unattractive. But Jesus isn't talking about that. He's not talking about more of the same. Not wanting to stretch out the sorrow and the struggle we experience in this life. So it goes on and on. That would be awful, wouldn't it? No, the eternal life that Jesus brings, he says in verse 39, is to be raised on the last day. Being raised on the last day, he says it again in verse 40 and 44 and 54, keeps repeating it. It's about being raised on the last day. Because eternal life is not an infinite version of this life, it's life beyond this life. And when the last day comes, will be the day when this age ends. It will be the ending of all the sorrow and the sadness and the suffering and the sin. And when all that ends on the last day and when a new day dawns, And when the world beyond this world begins, Jesus will raise them up into that eternity. Now he describes the kind of life it is in verse 35 like this. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Uh, the, The never in this verse is hard to translate because it is so emphatic. There is an absolute utterness to the no hunger and the no thirsting. Jesus kind of taps into those basic needs of hunger and thirst to to point towards a a life that that brings unending satisfaction. Deep in our souls is an aching need. It's a need that we cram full of all kinds of nonsense in different ways with our, our career or our, our family or our busyness or, our, or even drink and drugs and sex or all the kind of things that we empty ourselves with, all the kind of addictions in our lives, but none of it satisfies. And the tragedy of the human condition is this. The tragedy of the human condition is that when we get what we think we most need, we find it's not enough. We're not made for food that spoils But Jesus gives life that satisfies, and it has no limit, and it has no end. And that's the kind of life he's talking about. That's the sort of life. But I think he also fills out the meaning um, that he is the gift of life with talking about 
the source of life. Now, where does it come from? 